Okay. So we just want you to share God's word. Okay. Thank you. All right. Let me get situated real quick. I timed myself at two hours last night, so let me see if I can beat that today. Well, you laugh now, so I'm kidding. Well, I just wanted to take a short minute uh, to say a few things before we begin today. Um, first, first off, just in case we haven't met, my name is Cole Andrews, and I'm originally from Starkville, Mississippi, um, also known as, as God's country. And uh, currently I'm pursuing my Master's of Divinity at uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, and I hope to become a pastor, uh, much like Brother Eddie, one day soon. Um, and secondly, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate uh, every one of you here at First Baptist Loosedale. Um, this past April, I was lucky enough to marry April McDonald, and I moved here to Loosedale uh, at the 1st of May, and I was pretty scared, to be honest. Um, even though April is more than enough and is still enough, I had no friends and I had no job, and that is not necessarily the best way to start out a marriage, but that is how we started. Um, I was blessed to live in Cleveland, Mississippi, Mississippi um, during my college years, and I spent a little bit of time in Orlando, Florida for an internship, but I had never made anywhere other than, other than Starkville my permanent home. Um, so I stand before you today to honestly say that uh, once we joined this church, I fell in love with Loosedale and all of you. And is it not working? Okay. Is this better? Oh, that is a lot better. Um, and I have made some great friends thus far, and I certainly do appreciate the leadership of Brother Eddie, of Brother Doug, and the deacon body here at First Baptist. And, uh, you know, April and I really do love this place, and we love walking into the sanctuary and seeing familiar faces uh, week in and week out. And so I just wanted to say that April and I really do appreciate being able to serve alongside of you and, and making Christ known um, to all the people in Loosedale. So let's pray before we begin. Father God, we just come to you today and we thank you that um, you were good um, and, and that you were good enough for us and, and that you sent your son to die for us. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak um, through me today, not the words that I would, I would choose to say, but the words that you would have us hear. Um, and I just pray that you bless this moment in your name. Amen. I might have to use both of these. Is that okay, April? I know this is yours. <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of hearing uh, David Platt, who's an author and the current president of the International Mission Board, preach. And, uh, you know, he's really known for great enthusiasm in the pulpit, but he said something that struck a strong chord with me, and during his sermon, he made a point that in, you know, our Protestant Western culture, uh, we ask the question, what is God's will for my life, more than we ask any other question. Um, now, I believed him at the time, but, and I certainly do now, but I wanted to do a little bit of research uh, to figure out whether or not that could be proved. And I'm sure um, that many of you are familiar with uh, the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, by Pastor Rick Warren. Uh, it was released in 2002 and was almost instantly a bestseller. Um, I bet many in here own the book. I know that I do. Um, and I could only find sales numbers from 2002 to 2007. 
Uh, so I can't account for the 11 years that lead up to 2018. But um, from 2002 to 2007, um, the Purpose Driven Life sold on an average of 16,000 copies a day. Um, so that's just, to me, that's wild. 16,000 copies of one book per day for five years. Um, that's over 30, that's about 30 million copies. And just to think about 16,000 people crying out to the Lord daily, trying to know God's purpose for their life. Um, honestly, that's as if almost the entirety of George County went out, bought the book, and came home and read it in the same day. Um, now, my wife will be the first to tell you that I love to drive a point home. Like, I really like to get my point across. But uh, at any rate, I wanted to prove that, uh, even further proof that people are desperate to know God's will for their life. And I did a simple Google search, and I'm not sure if the slides are working, but it should be the second or third slide, but um, I just typed into Google, what is God's will for my life? And the results that came back were 3.5 million choices. And so it continued to astound me that we're so perplexed with what God's will is for my life. And, and I know that you might say, well, Cole, you're in seminary. You know, you, you are pursuing ministry. Of course you know God's will for your life. Well, I brought some books from home that I have purchased in the past to prove that I, too, have struggled with this. And I've got about five, but I'll show you a couple of them. This one's pretty subtly titled, What Should I Do With My Life? (laughs) And then, of course, I do have The Purpose Driven Life as well. And I show you that because I have changed careers. When I came out of college, I went into coaching, and then I went into medical sales, and then I really felt the call of the Lord to pursue vocational ministry. And I think that I took that detour because I often felt the call back in high school and throughout college because I was often focused on what I wanted for my life and what I wanted to get out of my own life and my own aspirations and my own dreams. And, you know, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with searching for God's will for your life, and that is not at all what I'm here to say today, and you know, I hope you search and you seek the Lord daily. Uh, what I want to tell you over the next few minutes is that God's will for your life is, is simple to find, and I want to tell you that we can stop striving to find the exact answer uh, for our life's purpose and obey the commands that God's already given us through Scripture. And so today we're going to go over two points in two Scriptures, and that should, is the PowerPoint not working? Okay, that's fine. You just trust me. <laughs> so, um, so the first point is, you know, what is God's will? And God's will is not the same as human will. Human will is fair, fairly straightforward. When we want something to happen, we will it to pass. Or when we do something, we have shown our will in the matter. And we often use the word willpower to show how much will we can inflict on a situation. And so God's will is a little bit more complex, and I do want to state that there is more than one aspect of God's will, and mainly the difference between God's revealed will and God's sovereign will. And today we will strictly be looking into God's revealed will through his word. Now God's sovereign will can also be called his hidden will. It's sovereign in that it shows that God to be the sovereign ruler of, earth, sovereign ruler of the universe who ordains all that happens. And it is hidden because we are usually unaware of this aspect of God's will until it comes to pass. And there's nothing that happens that is outside of God's sovereign will. 
For example, it was God's sovereign will that Joseph be taken to Egypt, languish in Pharaoh's prison, interpret the king's dreams, and eventually save his people from famine. And he was honored by all in Genesis. At first, Joseph and his brothers were completely ignorant of God's will at this time, but every step along the way, God's plan was made plainer to them. But God's revealed will, is what we're looking at today, is what he has chosen to reveal to us, like the many, many treasures, commands, and truths found in Scripture. The entire Bible is God's revealed will, and is exactly where we will look for God's will for your life, for my life, and for our lives. And so the first Scripture comes from the book of Matthew, And we'll be looking in two different places today, but for the first one, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, and I'll read it for you. Let me get there. Okay. So God's word says, he said to them, him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is to like it. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, in this, in this passage of Scripture, we have the great commandment. And in the, in, the in the verses before this, you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees trying to entangle Jesus with difficult questions um, meant to test him. And an interpreter of the law or a lawyer no offense, Um, (laughs) was trying to test uh, Jesus when he said, you know, not so much to test his knowledge, but to test his justice. And as you see in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The love of God is the first and great commandment and the sum of all the commands. Our love of God must be sincere, not only in word and tongue. Um, Our love is kind of too little to bestow upon him, therefore all the powers of our soul must be engaged in him and carried out toward him. And in the second part of that passage, to love our neighbor as ourselves is the second greatest command. There is a self-love which is corrupt or pride and and is the root of the greatest sins, and we must put that off. But there is a self-love which is the rule and the greatest of duties. We must have due concern um, for the welfare of our own souls and our own bodies, and we must love our neighbors as truly um, and sincerely as we love ourselves. And in many cases, we must deny ourselves for the good of others. And, you know, by these two commands, we really want to mold our hearts toward God. And then the second passage of Scripture is going to be found in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, and I'll read that to you as well. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here we have the Great Commission. You know, we just looked at the Great Commandment, and now we have the Great Commission. And of course, a whole sermon series could and should be preached on the Great Commission. Um, In the Great Commission, Jesus calls every Christian, every believer to step out in faith, and spread the good news, or faith in action. Um, People who obey this command change their spiritual lives forever. And it could be spreading the good news to your neighbor, or moving to another country to reach people there. It could be sharing with the less fortunate kids down the street, um, or your coworkers, or your classmates. 
wherever we go, every faithful Christian is compelled through obedience to share the gospel. And today, you know, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, you should be asking yourself, where, where has God called me to go? Who has God put on my heart uh, to share the gift of salvation? And what small steps or big steps can I take with the knowledge that Christ will be with me to make disciples of all nations? And today I want to, say, to see these two great commands as the very will of God's will for your life. The very purpose of being a Christian is to know God and to make him known. And I probably could have started this sermon and ended it in within a minute by just saying the three words, know and go. And so the great thing about God's will, uh, the point, you know, the point of God's will, and one of the greatest things about the spoken word, uh, the Bible and all its infallibility and its truth, is that it's not subject to man's opinion. God's commands are God's commands. God's decrees are God's decrees and God's laws are his laws. I mean, his salvation is his salvation to give unto us. And when it comes to loving God or our neighbor or making disciples of all, we should realize that God is commanding us to do so. Knowing that obeying his will for our lives will bring the most satisfaction. Um, my dad used to say, well, I should first say that as a child, I didn't mind a whole lot. I wasn't the best kid. And I probably didn't mind a whole lot as an adult. I don't know. But uh, he used to say when I wasn't minding uh, to get my attention on how I should be doing what he says, you know, he would say, you know, when I say jump, you better say how high. And I had to call him the other day to ask him what that meant so that I could use it in this sermon. <laughs> but uh, um, I get it now. I get it now. I should be doing what he says. But And I, I realized that this is not the greatest example because Jesus Christ is the greatest example for um who to follow for our lives. But in this case, with the spoken word of God, when God says go, we should say where. And when God says do, we should say what and how often and unto whom. And if he ultimately says die for my gospel, I hope we would, with confidence, approach the the throne of grace with our lives surrendered to him. And you know, our country seems to be in rough shape. And, And a lot of times we say it's because uh, you know, we've taken God out of schools, we've taken God out of the public place, and, and a, a lot of other reasons. And I believe that to be true. I do. We have done a lot to remove the gospel from as many public places as possible. But even worse, uh, in my personal opinion, is the response of the church in the United States. And what I mean by that is how many people have you heard say or, or, or seen say, oh, Jesus died to, for me to forgive my sins uh, so I don't have to go to hell. Like, oh, how convenient. You know, how convenient is that? Um, I'm now, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live my life how I want to live it. And I'm going to get what I want out of life. You know, how convenient that, that Christ would die for me. And to think about how utterly ridiculous that is and how utterly of a, ridiculous a response that is to the salvation of Christ. To take, to take your life and to face the cross and to say, well, God, thank you for giving all that you had to save something that you created um, to bring into perfect relation with you. But I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to accept that part so I don't have to suffer eternally, but I'm not going to give you my time here on earth. And I'm not going to give you um, my attention. And I'm not going to give you uh, certainly any of my talents or efforts. And, and I think that is just a struggle that we have in the church today. We have uh, in, in the United States, we, 
we want to believe, but we don't want to put it into action. And so God has given us two clear commands on how to live our lives, and he gave us his son so that we could one day be brought into perfect union with him. You know, how could we not live God's will for our lives? I often ask myself this question um, from Pastor Kevin DeYoung, and it really is a soul check-in, a check-in with my soul daily. And it says, what or who am I if I am not utterly consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, who am I? And, and let's look at our concluding point. You know, it's one thing to know God, uh, God's will, and understand what it is for Christians, but how do we live it for our lives? And so I have a little short story that I, I found entertaining. But um, a lady once asked John Wesley, who's the founder of the Methodist Church, if he knew that he would die in the next 24 hours, how he would spend the remainder of his time. And he replied, why, madam, uh, I just as I intend to spend it now. I would preach this evening at Gloucester and give a, again at 5 tomorrow morning. And after that, I would ride to Tewksbury, preach in the afternoon, and meet the societies in the evening. I would then go to Martin's house, talk and pray with the family, as usual, uh, retire myself to my room, and at 10 o'clock, commend myself to my Heavenly Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in glory. And Francis of Assisi said the same thing when he asked what he would do if he knew he was going to die at the very end of the day. And he responded, I would finish tilling my garden. And the point is that these strong men of faith daily did as God had commanded them. Their entire lives were encompassed by the gospel. They were already submitted. They didn't have to make a life-altering change daily to say, well, I should probably start living for God's will now just in case I die tomorrow. They already said, well, I've spent my life doing the commands of God. And too often we, we do say that. We kind of um, begin to say, oh, I'll live, God. I'll live for God at a later point in my life. And you know, what a, what a sad tragedy because we are not the maker of days um, and I encourage you to do as John Wesley and many others have done before. Uh, and I'm sure that many of you are actually doing in here today is to live your lives as such. Do God's will today, do God's will tomorrow, and do God's will as long as you have breath. And I often found myself, like I mentioned earlier, searching for God's will because I was often searching within myself to please myself. Much like the Sadducees from earlier uh, mentioned in the first scripture, I was entangling myself with questions that didn't involve the true nature of God, didn't involve the true love that he has for us, the deep love that he has for us. I was always focused on my life. Um, you know, we really must readjust to God's commands, and we must submit into his perfect plan for our lives. And I have a few points just to go through quickly about how to do that daily. Um, Aubrey Moffers is a church strategist, and we have to read a lot of his books uh, for class and, and in OBTS. And he said one time that uh, people won't do ministry that matters until they know what matters. And I'm telling you today that there is a need for the gospel of Jesus Christ right here in Loosedale. And it is God's very will for your life as a believer to take that amazing life-altering story out into our streets. And so I have three quick points that I'm going to make, and we'll go through them pretty quickly. But the first one is we must alter our position, our posture, excuse me. We must alter our posture before God. Let's change from saying, God, will you do this for me? God, will you grant this for me? God, will you take this from me? God, will you give this to me? To simply saying, what will you have me do, God? Where will you have me go? And after all, Jesus is Lord of all. 
And you know, I'll say that again to make sure that it's clear that Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of your time. Jesus is Lord of your money. Jesus is Lord of your goals. Jesus is Lord of your kids. Jesus is Lord of your work. Jesus is Lord of your home. Not you, not me, not us. We are not Lord of those things. We are not in control tomorrow of tomorrow. So we must readjust our posture in total submission to Jesus being Lord. And we cannot be passive any longer. We must go out wherever we are located sharing the good news of Jesus. You know, a lot of things are worthy of our time, but only one is worthy of our entire life. And I know that you know that that's Jesus. And take, for example, one man. Let's say he spends all of his time maximizing his 401k, his retirement plan. And 401ks are not bad. And in fact, they're awesome, and I wish I had one. But for the sake of the sermon, let's just say this man spends all of his time, all of his free time, figuring out how to make sure that his financial holdings uh, one day will make his life secure. He'll be able to do what he wants one day. Um, And again, you know, it's a good financial strategy, and you should make future plans, and you should save your money. But this is this man's life-driving force. This is what keeps him up at night. This is what wakes him up in the morning. And let's say we have a second man whose life-driving force is the spread of the gospel, who spends his day, uh, his free time after work, or maybe occasionally on the weekend, taking time to share the gospel with others. And let's say his goal for the end of his life is to bring just 400 souls with him to heaven. And so I want you to think about who has done more for the kingdom of God in that situation. And finally, we must believe in our heart, at a heart level, that God's will is worth following. And we must believe that his plan is greater than our plan and that his dreams are greater than our dreams and that his love for us is greater than our love for this earth. And we must take up our cross daily. And you know, at the end of our time today, um, my superior hope is not that you'll think I'm a good speaker or a bad speaker or that I did a good job or a bad job or that I'm funny or scatterbrained, but it is from the very depths of my heart, it is my yearning that you know deeply that you know the supreme worth of complete and total surrender to God's will. And martyred missionary Jim Elliott once said, you will know no greater satisfaction than when you give up what you cannot keep to gain what you will never lose. And so I know that we know time is so valuable these days. I mean, just look at the cost of the commercials during the Super Bowl. Time is so valuable. You know, the whole workforce attitude has changed. Um, For my father's generation and the generation before, the attitude was very much just get the job done. And to now, my generation wants to enjoy every single moment of every single day doing exactly what we love. Um, And we are so adamant about making things count. And more and more people understand that life is not worth wasting. But I'm here to tell you again and again and again and again that only Jesus Christ is worth living for and that only living God's will for your life is how you make every single precious moment count. And the real joy, the lasting joy that will carry you through the good times and the bad times is found at the foot of the cross. And I I will close with a verse that Brother Eddie shared with me yesterday and it truly impacted me. Um, And it is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24, and it looks, it may be on this, it's the very last slide if it's working, but I'll read it for you. And it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through, 
that is, separate you from profane and vulgar things, make you pure and whole and undamaged, consecrated to him, set apart for his purpose, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete and be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful and absolutely trustworthy is he who is calling you to himself for your salvation. And he will do it. He will fulfill his call by making you holy, guarding you, watching over you, and protecting you as his own. And I, I just love that last part. He will fulfill his call by making you holy, guarding over you, watching over you, and protecting you as his own. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you so, so much that we don't have to guess about what it is you want for our lives, Lord, that you call us to love you and that you call us to love others. And thank you so much that you give us the Holy Spirit and that you give us grace to sustain us through all of that and to sustain us through life. And I just pray today that if there's someone, just very, just one single person in here that does not know that, does not know you personally, Lord, that you would touch their hearts, that you would call their hearts, and that they would come to know you today.